So for those of you that were here a few weeks ago, you probably remember that I shared with you that I got the blessing and the chance to go to the mission trip with the high schoolers and how I got to see the hand of the Lord moving in our midst in mighty and amazing ways. And today we have a short clip to show you so you can see what the Lord was doing in and through our students. Please join me as we watch this video. The youth ministry and the youth group went to Memphis as a service mission. Doing uh, service projects and serving the community. We helped the homeless. We did Meals on Wheels and worked in a garden and we got to do some construction also. I think my favorite part of the Memphis mission trip was getting to go to Calvary Rescue Mission, which is the homeless shelter. We got to first learn about the space and the church and the, the area where the people were staying and where it all started. So we got to just serve them with like hearts that knew a, like a fragment of what they've come from. We made tostadas, so we made a really like Mexican dish. And I think it was cool because since our group is so mixed, it was just nice to expand everyone's like taste buds a little bit and just add a little spice into like the week. I think my favorite was gardening probably. It was like fully run by volunteers and it was in like the middle of one of like the biggest food deserts, um, I think in the nation. They grow a ton of different produce and they had chickens and like eggs and stuff and they would sell it for really cheap to the people in their neighborhood and it was just like a huge blessing for everyone there. Memphis was a very eye-opening experience. Something that the Lord was teaching me was that just like the heart like that you have to have when you go and to serve and also like the openness that people have to the gospel. Like at first, you know, with Meals on Wheels we'd ask to pray for the people that we were giving the food to. And at first I was kind of nervous to do that. And then the more we did it, the more I realized that people would, I think everyone that we talked to gave us a prayer request and we prayed right there with them. It was just like really interesting to see all the situations that everyone was going through um, and just how many people said that they would love for us to pray for them. I felt like the impact of the prayer, like every time we would pray, like I felt the impact in my heart, which carried out at home because I've been praying more. So it was just cool to see like everybody pray together. I'm really excited for more people to come to these trips because it was definitely worth it and it's an experience that if you don't go, you're missing out on a lot. And I feel like God is using these trips to make our group grow more and more every day. I came out of it like knowing so many people and I feel like it was such a blessing. Like man, everybody knows each other here and then found out that they didn't know each other. So it was just crazy. I was like, they're just all meeting each other too. And they just like, we're a family. Yeah, I, I didn't know anyone going into this trip. Like I knew my one friend and that was about it. And now I come home and my family is just like, who in the world? are you talking about? I've never met this person before. <laughs> and it's just really exciting that I have all these stories to tell and everyone else on this trip does too because it was just really a once in a lifetime experience. There you go. I gotta ask you a question. Do you know why is it that the Lord moved in our students and through our students in this trip in amazing ways? I wanna give you three answers why. Number one, because there are people in this church that really believe in the mission of God and how generosity is used to fulfill our call as we participate in the mission of God. 
So I want to thank all of you that continue to support the church financially. I want to invite you to continue to do that. I mean, if you're not part of that, I want to invite you to join what the Lord is already doing through the church and in the church. For that, you could go to WhitmanBibleChurch.org slash give. Um, or you could send uh, your offering uh, to the church via mail. Or as you exit the buildings in our, all of our doors, you will find a box. Please deposit all of your millions as you get out of the building. Um, second reason why the Lord used this trip and used our students is because um, there was a group of ministry partners that have committed to the students and have been working with the students and went into the strip and suffered with the students and did everything that the students did is because we believe that ministry partners is also, being ministry partners is also part of our call as a church. So if you are not volunteering somewhere, somewhere right now, if you are not a ministry partner right now, please consider using your gifts and your talents and abilities for the glory of God and the well-being of others. If you want to do that, please go to wittenbible.org slash volunteer. And number three, the reason why this trip, in my opinion, was successful is because we have a group of students that believe that we are in mission together. Can you say together? If you are not part of one group yet, you have to. I mean, you don't have to. But you should, because Christianity is not meant to live alone. We need other people. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we get to see the power of the gospel in action. Lord, we are grateful that we get to see what you can do in us and through us. Lord, we are grateful that we get to see what it means to have people that respond to your call. I pray, Lord, that what you have been doing in the students, you also do to us. I pray, Lord, that the, that the way you have been using our students, you use the rest of the church. I pray, Lord, that you make of us people that are so concerned for this creation and, this, and people in this world that we live this out. And we pray, Lord, that you make of us a church that more and more is willing to sacrifice and go to different places to bring the gospel and the power of the gospel. Lord, today we celebrate and rejoice because we have freedom. We have the freedom to worship you. We have the freedom to gather as a church. We have the freedom to live the way we live. And Lord, and that's not the reality of other parts of the world, like in Afghanistan. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you show yourself to this group of people that you defend and protect, Lord, that you protect your church and you protect, Lord, those brothers and sisters that are being persecuted right now. Please, Lord, give us this sense that we need to pray without ceasing for that part of the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for our friends in Haiti that, is, that also is struggling because of what they have gone through. Move yourself, Lord. Please move in amazing ways. Lord, and I don't want to ignore that there's probably people here and there's people worshiping with us online that are also going through awful things. Please, Lord, be with them. Please show yourself to them so we can come and worship you together and give you glory. We pray for all this in the name of Jesus and we all say, 
All right. Good morning, familia. Today, before I start uh, the sermon, uh, we have a group of people that some, someone has called the Avengers of Witten College. And we have some of our football players from Witten College here. How about if we give them a welcome? All right. Um, if you are visiting the church for the first time, or if you are worshiping with us online for the first time, I got to tell you that you chose a really good Sunday to come to church. Not just because I'm preaching, even though that's part of the reason, but because I, I believe that the question that I'm posting today is an important question for us to answer. The question is, how does the church, how does God people reemerge from a very difficult time as the pandemic? How is it that we as a church reemerge from this global catastrophe? And if you were here last week, you know that last week we started a two-week series in which we are learning from Noah, another person that, along with his family, re-emerged from a global catastrophe known as the flood. Last week we looked into Genesis chapter 6 through 8, and today we're looking into Genesis chapter 9. But for the reading of the scripture, we want to start in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 to 21, and then we're going to read some sections of Genesis chapter 9. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. If you're still here, could you please say, I'm still here. This is the word of the Lord. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord... And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings. Uh, burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Verse 3. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Verse 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all the life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again, I'll, I, never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray. 
Lord, as a church, we believe not only that the word is inerrant, but that the word is sufficient. Meaning, Lord, that we believe that when you speak in your word, it's enough for us to believe. It is enough for us to be transformed. And it is enough for us to obey. I pray, Lord, that by the presence, the person, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you use your word to speak into our hearts. And you transform us by it. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. Most scholars, when they look at the story of Noah, they describe it as the story of new beginnings or the story of a new age. And to be honest, uh, I think that we as a society, we as a church, and we as a world, we also are studying something new. We are at the beginning of something new, a new age, a new beginning. I actually believe, and I'm not the only one that actually believes this, but I, I actually believe that there are, uh, that we actually have been changed by this pandemic. The world has changed. Societies have changed. Relationships have changed. People have changed. And the church has changed. I think that we, just like Noah, are at the beginning of something new. A new age, a new era. And whatever Noah learned back then is the same thing that we need to learn today. Whatever Noah had back then is the same thing that we all need today. And in light of the text that we just read, I want to argue that we need three things as we participate in these new beginnings. We need a vision. We need a mandate, and we need a sign. A vision to know who the Lord is and what he's going to do and he's doing. A mandate so we can see our responsibility in it. And then a sign because that's where we get the motivation and the power to actually fulfill our call. Let's go with the first point. We need a vision. During the last year and a half, I've learned that one of my primary responsibilities as a pastor, has been to help people see two things. To see beauty in the midst of brokenness. And two, to learn to see beyond brokenness. My two responsibilities as a pastor, primary responsibilities as a pastor in the last year and a half, is to teach people to see beauty in the midst of brokenness and be able to see beyond brokenness. Why do I say that? Well, I think that as a church, we need to learn how to see beauty in the midst of brokenness because when God is moving in the midst of suffering, there are always evidences of his grace. You can always, if you really pay attention, you can always see something that God is doing. You can always see how God is moving. You can always see how God is working. If you really stop and pay attention, you can always find beautiful things in ugly places. If you go back a year and a half and you pay attention, you will see beauty in ugly places. And the reason why I'm saying that one of the things that we have to do is to learn to see beyond brokenness. 
is because God is unfolding his plan for this creation. And we get to see what that looks like as Christians and believers. I actually think that these two things is what the Lord was giving Noah as he was learning how to deal with the flood. And the reason why I say that is because in chapter 8, verse 21, this is what the Lord says. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Never again, can you say never again? Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. The phrase never again has a double role here. On one end, the Lord is saying, never again, the earth is going to experience something like what the earth just experienced. And at the same time, on the other hand, the Lord is saying, I am not in the business of cursing the earth. I have different plans for it. The Lord is going to say something similar again in chapter 9, verse 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will, I, will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And notice that the Lord is making a connection between the word covenant, never again, and the earth. The Lord is telling Noah, I'm making a covenant with you and your family. And because I'm making this covenant with you and your family, I'm also making a covenant with this earth, and never again will I punish the earth the way I did it. In other words, this is the Lord telling Noah, I am for this creation. Now, this is what is interesting. And I want you to pay attention to the word establish. Because the word establish in the original, it also has a double meaning. It means to start or to create and to begin. And this is, why we, this is how we know that in Genesis chapter 9, the Lord is starting again with this creation. If you remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the text starts with, with in the beginning, God. And he's using a, a similar phrase here in Genesis chapter 9 to say, I establish, I start, I create, I begin. But what I find amazing about this word is not that just it means to start, to create, or to begin, but it also means to endure. And you will be like, why would the Lord say that he needs to endure in this creation? Well, this is what I found. Part of the reason why the Lord says to Noah that not only he's beginning something new, but that he's enduring something, is because the Lord is telling Noah that he will not rest until this creation becomes what he wants this creation to become. The Lord is telling Noah that with this new beginning, he's so committed to this creation, he's so committed to what he created, that he will not rest until this creation becomes what he wants this creation to become. Church, and this is the reason why the rainbow is so important. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, the rainbow in this text and in the Bible actually has three meanings, and I'm going to give you the first one here, and if you're still awake by the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you the other two. <laughs> Whenever you find the word rainbow in the Bible, in some places of the Bible, 
The word rainbow is a reminder of God making a uh, commitment to this creation. And once again, that he will not rest until this creation is completely restored. How do I know that? Well, one of the places where you find the word rainbow is in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. And then it says, then I saw another mighty angel. He was uh, robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. And in the context of Revelation chapter 10, the whole section of Revelations is God talking about the final consummation of all creation. He's talking about that time in which Jesus will return and he is going to make everything new again. The new heavens and the new earth, the restoration and reconciliation of all things, the new Jerusalem that is coming down from heaven, the city of God, the new city of God. So when God is showing Noah the rainbow, he's promising future restoration. He's saying to Noah, never again I'm going to destroy this earth. And I'm committed to this creation as much as I'm committed to you until I make everything new again. So every time Noah would see that rainbow, we'll remember that that's the promise of a future restoration. Now pay attention here, church, for a second. Because the promise made to Noah... Is the same promise we inherited when we became believers. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you confess with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that lived, died, and resurrected, the moment you believed that, that promise was transferred to you. And if that is true, and it is, then in the midst of everything we're going through, in the midst of chaos, a pandemic, suffering, pain, God is so committed to this creation that if you really pay attention, you would always find what the Lord is doing. You would always find beauty in the midst of brokenness. God is always doing something. You just have to pay attention. And... If we as believers inherited what the Lord promised Noah, that means that everything that we're going through, church, one day in the book of the restoration of all creation, one day everything that we're going through will be nothing but a footnote in the history of the world. When you and I are worshiping in heaven, someone might say, do you remember the pandemic? And someone would say, pandemic? Because the beauty of what is yet to come will make everything that we, have, we are going through like just a quick nightmare. Do you, can you see that? Can you see what the Lord is doing in the midst of struggles? Can you actually see beauty in the midst of ugliness, in the midst of brokenness? Can you see what the Lord is doing? And can you see what the Lord is promised that he's going to do? See, one of the artists that I have been following, it's a young lady that goes by the name, the artist's name by Nightbird. 
And it's this young lady that in 2017 uh, received the diagnosis that she had a breast cancer, that she had breast, that she had breast cancer, and that she only had six months to live. By 2018, by God's grace, she was declared cancer-free. But a few months later, cancer came back, and during this season, her husband of five years walked away from her. From her. By 2020, she was declared again cancer-free. In the middle of 2020, cancer came back again. And now it's stronger, and now it's taking over today, taking over her lungs, spine, and liver. And it is during this last season that she writes a, a song called It Is Okay, It's Okay. She, she was actually, she went to American Idol, and it was one of those presentations that is super emotional. And we don't understand why is it that she writes this song, It's Okay, unless you, write, you read what she has been writing in her blog. And she is a model of a person that is going through pain, that is struggling, that is going through crazy things, and, can, and still she can find beauty in the midst of brokenness. This is what she says. When it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He's more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He doesn't spare me of my thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He, he comes near. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far? She has learned to suffer well. And she has learned to find beauty in ugly places. Not only that, she's a model of what it means to see beyond brokenness. See, one of the reasons why she gave herself the artistic name of Night Bird is because she had this dream for four nights in a row, three nights in a row, in which she could hear birds singing in darkness. And this is what she says. I want to be that way. Even when I am in the middle of a dark time and there are no signs that this will end. I want to be the bird that sings in anticipation of the good things that I trust are coming. You know what it means to know that you're dying of cancer and being able to sing and see the beauty of what is yet to come. That's how we reemerge. When we have this humongous, beautiful vision that in the midst of everything we go through, the Lord is doing something, you can always find evidences of His grace. And this suffering, this struggle, this pandemic soon will be forgotten. Here or there. That's what Noah had. That's what we have. This new vision. But we need more than a new uh, vision. We also need a mandate. Now, I want you to see 
How is it that Noah responds? As soon as the Lord is dealing with him and he brings the flood and everything, as soon as he gets out of the ark, look at what he does. Chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And all scholars agree in saying that out of, out of the grace of God that Noah received, the first thing that he does is he worships. He worships as a sign of gratitude. He worships as a sign of commitment. And he worships as a sign of consecration. This is Noah saying to the Lord, because you extend the grace to me, I am committing myself to you. I am separating myself to you for your glory and your purposes. That's usually what happens when people experience grace, you know? You experience grace, and the first thing you want to do is to recommit yourself to the Lord. But look at how God responds in verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Then later on in verse 3, he says this, Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. And just in case, if Noah forgot, he repeats the same thing that he said in verse 1 in verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the Bible and if you're familiar with the beginning of everything in Genesis chapter 1, you could probably already know that what the Lord is telling Noah here is the same thing that he told, God told Adam and Eve before the fall. God, as he's starting all over again, he tells Noah the same thing that he told Adam and Eve before the fall in Genesis chapter 1. And what I want you to see is this, church, that as God is doing something in this creation, and as God is in the business of restoring all things, and as God is bringing the new heavens and the new earth, and as we continue to move forward in what is yet to come, and as we look forward to the beautiful things that the Lord is going to bring one day, the church is called to contribute to that. Notice that the Lord calls Noah to contribute to what the Lord is already doing. So, for example, in, verse, in this verse, look at what happens. The Lord blessed Noah, and he sends him out. The Lord blessed Noah and calls him to worship the Lord in everything he does. Not only he blessed and sends him out, but when he's sending him out, he calls him to be fruitful and to increase in number and to multiply. Some theologians will call this the cultural mandate, meaning that Christians are in this world to cultivate the world, to work in the world, to transform the world, to take care of it, and to contribute to what the Lord is already doing, bringing heaven to earth. And that in everything we do, we represent him. And we reflect him. This is something that the American church must remember. This is something that our church must remember. 
that when the Lord called us and saved us and redeemed us and restored us, he did not call us to live in isolation and to run away from all problems and struggles and to run away from sinful people. That when the Lord called you and saved you and redeemed you and gave you the gift of repentance and gave you the gift of believing, is so once you are redeemed, you go back into the world to worship him in everything you do, to represent him, to reflect him, to create, to contribute, to worship him in everything you do. I don't know if you were following the Olympics a few weeks ago, but my wife and I were watching that every single day. But one of the things that we enjoy the most is gymnastics. Part of the reason why we do it and part of the reason why I enjoy it is because like about 80 years ago, I wanted to do that. And because I failed, then I rejoiced in the people that actually made it. But as I was looking at one of the things, um, I was looking at this, uh, one of the girls, um, and she's doing the, 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 beam, the balance beam, in which it's so interesting to see how they do it and what they do. And when I'm watching this, I remember something that Francis Shen, the pastor Francis Shen, said a long time ago in a sermon I heard. And he says that sometimes Christians, even though they want to do the balance beam well, they do something like this. Of course, it's just picture that I'm Francis Chan, but, you know, in a Latino version. And he says that sometimes Christians are in the, in the balance beam, and they're like... And, and they actually think that they're living for Christ. And it's still like... And by the time they finish, they get off the bean and they go. (laughs) I'm looking at this, I'm saying, that's exactly how many Christians are living today. So afraid. Trying to create a little clubs. Divorcing from the people that are wounded. Scared of being infected. And the Lord tells us the same thing that he told Noah. I bless you and go into the world and be a blessing and be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. Have a lot of kids and have your kids represent the Lord in this creation. That's what it means to reemerge. To reemerge is much more than just us doing this. And praise God for this. But to reemerge means that the Lord is calling us out. The question is why? So interesting when you read the text, you find verse 1 up here, God calling us to be fruitful and multiply. And then you read 7, and it says the same thing. But right in between, right in between these verses, you find this. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And you have to ask the question, why is it that the Lord is using this and explaining this in the midst of this call, this cultural mandate? And this is the reason why we are blessed and we go. Because people matter. 
The reason why we want to contribute to what the Lord is doing is because people matter. It's because we want to show and proclaim with our mouth and demonstrate with our hands that our Lord really cares for human beings. Did you know that you could be the worst sinner ever and you could do the most terrifying things ever and the one thing you never lose is the image of God in you. Did you know that even when sin came into the world, we got broken and deformed? But the image of God remains in us. This is why John Calvin, years ago, was talking about this topic, says that when we see the image of God in other people, we all all honor and love. He says, whatever man you meet who needs your aid, you have no reason to refuse to help him. The image of God which recommends him to you is worthy of you giving yourself and all your possessions. So if you think that there is a category of people who have lost the image of God in them, you are not understanding the Bible. So if you think that there's a category of people that is not worth our life and our resources, you are not understanding the Bible. This is what Calvin said. We remember not to consider men's evil intentions, but to look upon the image of God in them. And with its beauty and dignity, allures us to love and embrace them. In God's sovereign plan, the reason why he saves us and he sends us out is because he's counting on us and he will use us to bring the restoration of all creation. You know, this week when I was preparing for this sermon, I, I heard this story about this famous writer, famous atheist writer, that says that he would like to believe in God, but he just can't. And he said that the reason why he cannot believe in God is because when he was nine, a kid beat him up, and when he went home crying to his father about it, his father responded like this, fight that boy or fight me. And he said, that was godless, and there was no justice, and there is no justice in the world. But then when he was 12... Six boys threw him to the ground and stamped his head. And he said, and I quote, What struck me in the, the most that afternoon was not those boys, but the godless, hidden adults walking by. Down there on the ground, my head literally being kicked in. I understood that no one, not my father, not people, not the cops, and certainly not anyone's God, was coming to save. I, I, I can understand why this man will not believe, will reject a God. What he doesn't know is that he's not rejecting our God. Because our God is nothing like that. 
Here we have a God that sees beauty in broken places. Our God is a God that does not know how to love from afar. Our God is a God that gets into this broken world and weeps weeps with us and for us. Here we have the picture of a God that is willing to come and experience what we experience. Here we have the picture of a God that in Jesus Christ comes to to the world to suffer much more than what we have suffered. Here we have a picture of a God that comes and redeems people because they were created in his image. Here we have a picture of a God that takes these redeemed people and then sends them out to see the beauty in broken places, to be driven by the reality that his best is yet to come, redeem people that know how to love other broken people. See, the way I see it, church, we are all in a mission strip in the making. We are all part of the most amazing mission strip. And that everything we do is contributing to that. See, when our students went to Memphis, everything they did had eternal significance. See, when our when students went over there, every prayer they made, every meal they prepared, everything they did, the pain, everything they did had eternal significance. Just everything we do has eternal significance. The way to reemerge from a pandemic is to have a big vision and to understand our calling, God's mandate. So here's a question for you. Can we leave that out? What is it that we need to be motivated and empowered to be able to leave that out? Point number three, we need a sign. This is what chapter 9, verse 12 says. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Remember I told you that the word rainbow, or the sign of the rainbow, had three different meanings in the text. The first one I already gave you, and it means the promise of future restoration. But when you look at the word rainbow in the Bible, you will find it has these other two meanings. It also means judgment and new beginnings. Let me tell you why the second one is so important for us if we want to be motivated and empowered to live this out. I'm borrowing this from Charles Spurgeon. In one of his sermons, he makes the comment that when you look at the word rainbow, and I looked it up, is the word rainbow in the Hebrew is not the word rainbow. It's actually the word bow. And what Spurgeon noticed is that the bow is upside down. And what Spurgeon noticed is that the word uh, bow appears 75 times in the Old Testament. And every time this word appears in the Old Testament, it's an example of us to show the judgment of God. The anger of God is God bringing discipline and judgment upon his people. But Spurgeon, Spurgeon argued, and I think he's completely right, 
that the reason why the rainbow is not like this, but like this, is so the arrows don't point to us, but point to him. And the reason why I think that he's right is because when God sends Jesus, and when God comes and lives the life that no one has lived and died the death that we all deserve, he comes to take the punishment we deserve. Listen, if you are honest, I think that you would agree that everyone in this room and, everything, and everyone worshiping with us online, we are no better than the people from Noah's time. If you are honest, you know that you struggle with the same sin that people in Noah's time struggle with. That all of our, the inclinations of our heart are also twisted. That we are evil people, not because we only act evil, but because we got this thing inside called sin. But we also know that when Jesus came, he came to take the flood we deserve. And he came to take the wrath we deserve. Do you know why? Because God saw you and God saw beauty in broken places. And God saw you not just the way you are, but what he what you can be in Jesus. God saw beauty in broken places. So here's the question. If that's what you mean to him, if this is what the Lord did for you, why wouldn't you other people to experience that? Why wouldn't you want other people to experience that? Why wouldn't you want to contribute to what the Lord is doing? Why wouldn't you love other people created in the image of God so they can experience that? Why wouldn't you use your talents and your abilities and your giftings for the common good and for the restoration of all creation? Why would we live comfortable lives and then at the end says, I did it. Why would we do that if the Lord did it all for us? And the rainbow also tells us, it marks a new beginning. If you remember the text we just read, it says that the, that the rainbow is called a sign of the covenant. Did you know that when you continue to read the Old, Test the Old Testament, you find another sign of the covenant, which is the circumcision. We place the same role in which God says to his people, I'm committed to you. Now, I'm not going to explain the circumcision because that would be nasty. But the idea is that the sign of the, of, the, of the rainbow goes along with the sign of the circumcision. And when you keep on reading and you read the New Testament, you find another sign of the covenant, which is baptism. And in every single one of those is the same message. We have been born again, and there's a new beginning in Jesus Christ. Church, the reason why I know that we can leave this out is because we were born again. You have been free from the condemnation of sin. Jesus took the judgment. And you have been free from the power of sin. You can live for God. And you can live for his purposes. That's how you reemerge. May the Lord grant us to be a church that believes that and lives it out. 
Amen? Do me a favor. Ask the person next to you, do you believe that? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that we don't have to be bound by fear, that we don't have to be bound to anything, that we don't have to be bound by comfort, that we don't have to be bound to anything that will keep us away from the vision and mission that you have called us to. I pray, Lord, that as a church, by the power of your Spirit, and because we have been born again, and, our judgment, and, and in our judgment, we have been declared free and innocent. Because we have that, I pray, Lord, that as a church, we live the cultural mandate, the great commission, and the great commandment. I pray, Lord, that you make of us people that will go into the world and love well and proclaim with our mouths and show your power with our hands. Please, Lord. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus and the church says.